podcast listeners. If you hear my voice right now, I need you to do something for me. I want you to take out your phone or on your computer, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Ask Your Old Head Podcast. You'll see my, my logo, my little picture, my little image there. Find the show. Please rate and write a review. It's a small thing, but it helps others find this work and find what I'm doing here. And it really, really matters, uh, as small as that may seem. So if you could please do that uh, before we get into the show, I would much appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Let's get into it. Peace. Before we get into this week's show or this recording, just wanted to say thank you for listening and supporting this creative uh, project and work. I know I've been mentioning uh, the expansion or adjustments or changes coming to what I've been doing here. And, um, you know, life on life's terms means that process is sometimes slower than one expects. However, uh, my thought and ambition is that what comes of this in the near future will be good and it'll be valuable, be exciting. The thing, though, that I want to get on your radar is that I may be changing the feeds um, and some other things. So if you do listen to the show regularly and you enjoy the conversations, uh, especially me and Majestic have, uh, it's a pretty good chance um, by the start of the new year, Good Brothers will uh, sail on its own ship and or all of this will move to a slightly different feed, which may end up only being the feed that you're either listening to, just changing names, but just putting that on your radar. Um, so with that, thank you for listening and let's get into the show. Peace. Peace. I'm Jesse. My brother, Justice Raji. Hey, what's happening? How you feeling? Oh, man, you know. Fair to Midland is, you know, <laughs> the kind of terms that like black people say that you don't hear no more. They're, you know what I mean? They're like slowly going out of like out of our uh, collective lexicon. Absolutely. Like, like, fair to Midland. Fair to Midland like, for an old mean? fool. That's what my grandma, my, my nanny used to say. Oh, yeah. fair, to Midland, fair to Midland for an old fool. I'd be like, go ahead, nana. <laughs> right. Like this, you know, little slick ass language. But yeah, <laughs> so I'm fair to Midland. And, you know, for all, all the people congregating with their families, fair to Midland. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> So, um, well, I wanted to tap on it that you sent me, you shared with me um, two posts from a blog, and I put the link in the uh, in the show notes from the, the corner side yard uh, blog spot, and I guess the, the, it's the brother from Chicago and writes about um, Chicago um, things, but I think from sort of like a economics neighborhood kind of perspective. Urbanism, urbanism, yeah, urbanism, yeah, 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 like broadly, like really talking about urbanism and, and kind of what what that looks like. And because often, you know, and not to go too deep into this, but often urbanism is kind of framed like for white people. And we're usually responding to the ideas of what's happening mm -hmm. via urbanism. So if it's urbanism for, you know, what they call it, like tactical urbanism to like, you know, make parking spaces into something. And then we, you know, then some of us say, hey man, you're taking the parking space from the old lady that needed to go to the doctor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, or urbanism is bike lanes. And then we're saying, hey, we don't want no bike lanes because bike lanes ain't for us. Right. You know what <laughs> I mean? And so I just, I want to take a moment, a brief moment to say to everyone listening, Black people ride bikes too. Yeah. <laughs> Black people ride bikes that have money. Black people ride bikes that don't have money. Right? Um, and we have to get out this idea that Black folks don't ride bikes or for some reason that a bike lane would be only for white people in the PSA part. Go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> That's well, I thought um one, thank you for sharing these with me, but I, but it gave brought a couple things that I thought would be really good for us to talk about. Um, you know, because so many of our conversations when we're talking about societal one from a society change perspective, um, to a visioning and you know, you know, black excellence and uh economic prosperity and, and some of these other things, um, you know, sharing abundance, what have you, all these things sort of end up getting into this conversation around 
you know, sometimes said unsaid around um, one way class shows up in our community, um, you know, and, our, and, I, and I always think our, our relative kind of gaps, places and spaces of, of eco-socioeconomic class are, I, I don't think they, they don't behave the same as other communities, I think for sure. Um, and I think the dollar numbers <laughs> between, <laughs> between sort of like, oh, we, we would, and then even I think there's a, there's a, there's an idea, you know, I think oddly of sort of like one's perception of yourself. So even if you didn't necessarily have any money uh, that was much different than other people, you may have uh, sensibilities, right? Depending on mm-hmm. how your folks, you know, you know, that you come from and, and, and are around, you know, situated themselves, you know, and not, you know, and, and, I, and I'm not saying that with any kind of negative aspersion, just that, you know, some folks, they, 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 they comported themselves a certain way. Um, maybe whether they, you know, that we, that we could sometimes tie to their relative wealth um, that maybe was not, that right or at least may have had connections you know you know as they say you know folks got different types of home training and 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 whatever have you um and then also in light of this being the week of thanksgiving that i think is of 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 the national of the kind of national activities and and i want to say this that i mean one you know just in case anyone listening doesn't know both the people speaking here are fully aware of the, um, you know, what the the the, the historical uh, misinformation and misstructure that is the Thanksgiving holiday as it is often was often I don't know these well I guess apparently with that that uh, teacher in uh, California recently showed still probably taught um, right. around our indigenous brothers and sisters um, or sovereign uh, tribal communities um, and um, you know. And the history of this land, and particularly the engagements with the uh, the the, the, Af- the Af- folks known as the Pilgrims, um, you know, we 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 all in the loop on that. And as someone who has a who has established an over twenty year tradition of not participating, <laughs> and, uh, right. and and do it either if I do make some food or I do we do our thing. If we do it, we do it on Friday because um, we do participate in the traditional African American his- holiday of we all got the weekend off come see your auntie and them and you know let's be happy to be together and we didn't have no conversations about no pilgrims we didn't make no um no negative no definitely no disrespectful at least not my family no disrespectful uh art talk about this is what the indigenous people you know this is what they was doing we ain't do none of that so i know i know i've seen tv movies at least where people got all kinds of wild stuff they'd be doing i'm like wow that's is that a thing like people are here making the decorations and having the kids make really terrible Anyway, you know, still just, you know, and I actually, oddly enough, I came across something on the internet. I'm going going along on the intro here, but there was something called Ragamuffin Day that was like a pre-30s or kind of thing. And like before Halloween was like a real national holiday and like white folks would have kids dress up like as what they considered poor people. And go around like asking. Right. <laughs> I had never heard of this. I was like, oh, so many layers of the wildness y'all was into. I'm like, damn, y'all, somebody stuck them two pages of history together. <laughs> I mean, I never, I never, I was like, man, y'all be tripping. So saying that to say, you know, often US, you know, holidays in our country, and sometimes another country, but there's some that 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 have some odd, some, some negative, some history to them that um, you know we wouldn't we're not here to to further um however uh the, the like i said the traditional way that these things play out in our communities is like usually one of the holidays where regardless of folks particular religious or you know cultural practice spiritual practice you know whatever have you that everyone would feel more compelled like if you were in a certain depending on how your family worked and functioned where either you would be asked to come over to some family member's home and be part of the meal, or you would maybe go and see multiple family or friends, you know, uh, to, 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 you know, to, 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 to be with them and break bread and be happy to see each other. And people tell stories and have adult beverages and cards get played and all sorts of things. Um, but, and also with that though, I think there's certain dynamics of how class functions in black communities that shows up 
right? If it didn't show up any other time of the year, right? Like it might show up maybe on like a 4th of July cookout, you know what I mean? Or a family reunion. But those aren't things that are necessarily, they're not the same, right? Um, right. And, and let me say real quick about what distinguishing thing of July the 4th and Thanksgiving for Black folks is this. Everybody got the same clothes on on July the 4th, but somebody got a fur coat on for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so therefore, class or <laughs> if you got a check from somewhere, if you know you fell in a supermarket <laughs> or whatever, you know what I mean? It's gonna come class is gonna be so obvious. Yes. Thanksgiving, even differently than July 4th. July 4th, somebody can maybe bring a drop top or something. Right, but, right, right, right. But, but things bank it's different. Yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving is when the the yeah, the, you I mean the fur coat, I think, is it's just bang, you hit it right on the head. You know what I'm saying? The, you know what I'm saying? Or the one I was like, oh, we, oh, we're not sitting at the table. We're just, we're just going to, okay. I got to just, just making my own, <laughs> like, I'm just going to, just fine. You know, because I know, I know you've been to where you go to the, the things, the meal or the place. And it's like, it's, it's all this food. It is all these people, but it's not totally clear. Like, do I just get a plate and just tuck in where I could tuck in? Like, how does this work? I don't want to break, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to break no rules and all that food looks right. good. I want to get my plate, but I don't want to make a mess. Like, you know, and it's about to say, now, nah, baby, y'all come over here and sit in the kitchen. Y'all come sit. Y'all, you know, they get like, you know, especially when you're little, because, you know, you'd be like eight or nine, you'd be about to, you about to be about to make a mess and somebody will give you somewhere. They'll set you up. You know what I'm saying? They'd be like, you want some of this? Oh, no, no, come on, get you some. And then they, you know, they right, give you right, a little right. spot so you can tuck in and eat. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, so setting the context, there's, that's, that's kind of where I wanted to enter this. And the, um, but so to what the actual blog post was about and the, and the brother, I want to go up here. Pete, Pete Saunders. Pete Saunders. One love Pete Saunders. I'm going to send Pete Saunders a tweet or something. Tell him, thank you for yeah. writing this piece. Um, and the concept, he, he frames it in talking about Chicago and the Love Jones paradox, right? And, and I'm a big fan of Love Jones. It's great. I, I recently watched it. And in the last sometime in the last you know four or five months, I still enjoyed it um, for a number of reasons, which we'll save for another conversation. Um, but the the particular particular way he frames it is is sort of the idea of like within that structure that movie, you know, you kind of have a snapshot of you know what we would definitely say with middle class black people, you know, who probably you know even maybe not you know affluent, like oh man, they don't got to work no more, but definitely like they wasn't they wasn't worried about the, the light staying on um, and, you know, moving in what, you know, you definitely got to feel was a very black kind of creative, you know what I'm saying? Nice, you know, bars with lighted fluorescent lighted bar uh, countertops and shit and, you know, jazzy. Right, right. Pull, yeah. But it felt real like, Oh man, they must, they have to, they doing the thing, man. They, I want to go to, I want to go kick it where they kicking it. Right. Right, kind right, of energy, right. you know what I'm saying? Nice looking cocktails, white, white linen, tablecloths. Um, and then playing out, you know, the romantic realities that happen, you know, in, in the lives of people. Um, but was clearly it was not a it was not a the backdrop of their circumstance was not driven by poverty or struggle, right? And mm. so within the um <clears throat> context of the, the piece, though, the piece isn't really about the movie <laughs> in that way. The piece is about that sort of, you know, if you have more means and so maybe you want to have, you know, certain kind of restaurants, bars, entertainment things, um, markets that have uh, products, you know what I mean, that may be more expensive, you know, whatever, have recreational things, that it's not always something that if you if you are Black in a lot of cities, a lot of municipalities, a lot of parts of the country, where you could engage in that, in, you know, maybe with the predominant either um, presence in that space also being black people or it be driven and owned by black people and the paradox he 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 create poses in the piece is a hood affluent versus reflected privilege um which in my paraphrase would be the sort of like you can you know have your income where it's at you know and and relatively be able to hold space sort of like in your community but not have access to some of these other things that you would like, or you could move into a place where either 
you could could move to a community or an area of a city or what have you that may have some of those you know you want to be able to walk from your house to like a hip bar and have a nice you know cocktail and an appetizer um but it it probably is going to be a predominantly you know white middle class or white upper class you know uh space you know what i'm saying in terms of the framing or the ownership or whatever have you and so that being sort of the reflected privilege, meaning that you want to you want to be around the people who at least economically are more similar to you, um, but maybe you know otherwise they're not the same. And 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 so that's kind of I guess what the article starts with is like how does that function? You know what I mean for you know especially like artists, professionals, um, you know whatever you may do, but definitely the one that that is maybe a higher income earner, like where and this i should also add i didn't say you know the brothers writes about chicago i don't remember if i said that or not um you know which definitely has the the the, the scale and size of black people <laughs> that you have you know a broad a broader spectrum you know what i'm saying of uh of how folks show up so i guess my first question to you would be what you know, what do you think of, of just the, the kind of the framing of the idea? Like, what were some of your first thoughts that came to mind? Yeah, I think he could, he cuts to a really, really salient point. And it's, um, yeah, it's a really salient point because in American cities, not necessarily metropolitan areas, there's only but so many what we would term and term as black middle-class neighborhoods in cities in America today. Mm. Now, let's give it some context. Many of the communities that we lionize and valorize, um, the, the Harlem's, the Bronzeville's, the Youth Street, the Shaw's in, you know, in DC, um, you know, many of these places, that we that we like to talk about. And when we talk about the good old days and being black neighbors, they were multi-class black neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? So they were the neighborhoods that poor people, middle class people, and even rich people lived in mm-hmm. because of white supremacy. <laughs> you couldn't leave. Right. You couldn't right? Go, so yeah, you no. couldn't go nowhere. In the words of my man from uh Bronx Tale, now you can't now you can't leave, right? <laughs> So you couldn't leave. And I think that we forget that in when we talk about these traditional and these like legacy black neighborhoods mm-hmm. that all the capital and the capital revolved around in the neighborhood and you know our whole conversation of how long it takes a dollar to leave a neighborhood, which you know I think we'll take for another time, but I would argue it's much more complicated than people think mm-hmm. about how long it takes a dollar to stay in a neighborhood and why. Right. And for that brief context, I'll share the uh, name of a book, um, Our Black Year. Um, and Our Black Year is a year of uh, a sister from Chicago, actually, Maggie Anderson, who tried to buy everything with somebody black for a year. And then wrote a book to talk about her experience. Challenging. I actually tried to come back and do something similar one time. And what I realized was fascinating about where we spend our money and why. Mm -hmm. And then even the other people who we think spend their money differently, what they what they buy from people of why they can spend more money with a particular community and just the real estate component and a whole bunch of stuff. Elite that's inside. But like so um that's why we could have this circular economy that I think we all want to get back to, right? We couldn't live in, we couldn't, we all had to live in the same neighborhood. So then now when you're talking about, you know, black folks, it, we're largely defined as living in neighborhoods with lack of infrastructure, lack of resources. At least for the last 60, 70 years, we're defi- with the slums. Now it was the slums and the ghetto. Now it's the hood, you know, whatever, ter- whatever monikers you want to apply to these spaces, um, you know. They're the they're they're like the places of last resort. Now, obviously, when I say that, we know that they're places of strong bonds, relationships, 
you know, culture and resilience, but I'm saying how the, how the neighbors are being framed. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And owing to the American, you know, dream, where do you move when you want to get out of the place you are at? You usually move out of a city because transportation policy and, you know, shout out to the war. <laughs> they created highways to split up neighborhoods to get goods and stuff in and out of cities fast. And they had a twofer because they also created wealth. <laughs> mm -hmm. Folks in GI Bill and whatever had you know, all this, is, you and I both know, are large, it's largely documented a whole bunch of places. Yeah, yeah. So, go ahead, go ahead. No, what I was just going to add on to is that the there's a weird circumstance where either sometimes due to, well, especially at different points, due to the rules, the way that we people typically get financed to buy homes, it can actually, those that have the means, it can sometimes make it harder to buy the home back in your community because of property value stuff and and, and, the, and the lingering effects of, of redlining which is the lingering effects of white of racism but, but um structural racism as it is and so like to 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 weigh to think about within sort of the context of like oh well why don't, why don't they buy you know that there's some big houses on you know whatever street they can fix them up right you got to also remember the person that is buying them even if they saved up the, the you know, let's say they say let's say they say fifty racks, right? So they, which in a lot of most parts, most of the parts, not most, I guess several parts of the country, it would be enough for you to have the twenty percent down to get a mortgage. Most places, I think, a fair amount, I guess. Yeah, fair amount. Right. If that, you know, big. What what made it was funny because I was riding through Trenton when I was back in New Jersey, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and and certain spots like you know, like, All right, that's that's a big that's a big giant crib that that's a crib that when it was built it was not built as like no that wasn't built for um you know the poor rate <laughs> like that was right, built right, that, was, right. that, that was a big that's a nice city house right there right and depending on how much that is considered valued at the moment even if i had 50 racks i might not be able to get a loan to right. fix the buy the house to fix the house because they're gonna say, well, it's not gonna be worth more, you know. What I mean, then the appraisal, so we we won't loan you the money, right? And the fifty thousand is not enough to buy the house and fix the house, <laughs> right? Like you, you, like there's these other rules, quite frankly, that come into like depending on you know now if you just you know if you just want to be there, you're like, well, I want to be there, so I'm gonna just make it work, right? Then you know that's a different thing. But just thinking about it from a what the rules of how our money and things work in this society do impacts your decision making or can impact your decision making on these things too no actual fact so i didn't no i just think so from there you get to this place where because our neighborhoods are often defined by the the lack of infrastructure and white flight and then resulting and then subsequent black flight um mm -hmm. slash black movement right because i don't want to demonize people who have made decisions to to leave for whatever reason um so then you get these situations where now you have black middle class folks who okay do you want to live around culture do you want to live around your culture do you want to live around the energy of your people if you don't live in these cities with middle class sprawling black middle class neighborhoods right now we should cut not cut out but we should think about stuff like the you know the the DMV area ranging from Baltimore County down to the, you know, much of it, the northern and southern Atlanta. Again, framing it in, in even those places, a lot of times the 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 middle class black neighborhoods are in the suburbs, mm -hmm. not necessarily the city limits, right? Um, and so thinking about that, do you want access, but also acknowledging that part of our neighborhoods is broken down, is, is, is infrastructure challenges. Part of it is, you know, some of the, you know, contextual intra-community violence due to, you know, structural racism and other factors and trauma, right? So are you trying to be the person that lives in the neighborhood, you want that stuff, but also don't have the coffee shop that you might want to go to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And like, and what that means, and even when you look at community development efforts, you're often trying to think about how do you 
how do you get the the amenities that uh, black working and middle class folks want to utilize? And this is hoping that you have the scale and density of enough black folks to pay for it. Because another thing we should always recognize is that coffee shops and things don't exist. You know, the idea of them often we romanticize them in like the $5 latte, but you need a density of people coming through coffee shops to make a coffee shop work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Star, Star, Starbucks are real estate ventures. They're not just, uh, <laughs> you know, a place to get a bad cup of coffee. Starbucks. Absolutely, no. A lot of people, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Because Starbucks gets beat up on the on the on the actual quality and taste of the coffee. I mean, yeah. So I, I won't defend them. <laughs> They're on their own. They got they got a billion dollar research <laughs> development team. They can work on the flavor. Um, but and, and that's something I think actually too. So in the and when when um in in the piece you know refers to sort of the idea that like you know, you, you want to be, and, and I think this shows up different for different people, quite, you know, honestly, you know, probably, you know, some folks are much more involved in their sense of status than others, right. Or their status indicators. So there, there's that, but there is the, the, the very real thing. And, and I experienced even, um, you know, again, for whatever one may assume about what a, a suburban community, when I, when I go home to visit my folks and I'm in Moonboro, and if I'm waking up in the morning and mom didn't have some kind of coffee in the house or I didn't get some coffee, you know, I'd be like, damn, where can I get a coffee? And like, well, I can drive to Dunkin' Donuts. You know, but it definitely is not the option to like, I'm not, I'm gonna go to the uh to the boulanger. You know what I'm saying? Like it ain't, it ain't, it ain't no ain't like, oh, and today we're the the the, the croissants are they're extra fresh, they're from a you know, it, right, right. It, it's not that it's not that, right? It's 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 um, you know, and nothing wrong with Dunkin' Donuts, they make a good cup of coffee. You know what I'm saying? In a donut, you know, get you a glaze or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's delicious. But it's a, if you are a person that is like, I want to have the boutique donut experience. You know, there was a, right, I, right. I think they've rebooted, but there's like a place out here. I mean, there's, there's other ones I know that, but there's a company out here, a Blue Star, and they make like, you know, these fancy donuts with these different odd flavors. Oh, it's, it's delicious. And and they're, you know, they're, 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 they're all right donuts, you know what I'm saying? They they have a nice Meyer lemon uh situation, uh one that actually is pretty good. But the general idea of it is like you see a, a blue star somewhere, it's like, oh, it's, must be a nice area. Like yeah, they got blue right, star right, donuts. Right, right. <laughs> right. Um, and it's a very interesting tension when you are getting into like because if you when you get whatever you at like financial whatever we all take notice of what's next to us right in terms of the the, the who who are the the services that seem to set up next to where we be at and um and depending on depending on the the, the where you live you know cities you know I mean it's probably like we know that there are sometimes in cities especially dense cities you know especially like um older older east coast rust belt cities you know what i'm saying that were built quite frankly or started being built at a different economic you know model where maybe the car wasn't as important as other things there is there is sometimes a real space issue right to the what kind of stuff will fit right in the physical plant that's already there um which i think then exacerbates sort of the the stark difference right between like if you you know even dropping into university city you know what can fit you know which is not definitely i don't I mean, you can you can let me know i'm pretty sure i don't think university city city is considered a a a, a not you know middle of the road least economic area of philadelphia it's starkly different to what you would find you know in the suburbs you know across you know either east or west of philadelphia in terms of you know food options stores and other stuff but i'm sure some of the food options retailers and stuff you would find close and adjacent to university city are way different than what's on 52nd street you know what i'm saying or you know what's, oh abso- you know absolutely i mean right. yeah absolutely right so it's a it's a there's a there's a there there is a component of like what the physical plant will allow but then it's also a like yeah it becomes real clear that you didn't put the the the, the fancy boutique uh you know you name it on a street that either uh I mean, one is the financial reality of if the, whatever that business is doing 
would make money there, but also it, it there is a branding thing to it, I think. You know what I mean? And, oh, I mean it's a class. I mean, yeah. again, unless frankly, unless you're talking about again certain legacy black legacy black neighborhoods or just legacy neighborhoods, because you see this in Chinatowns, you see this in quote unquote little Italy's, you see it in transitional traditional Jewish neighborhoods. So I, I, I Irish neighborhoods like Hell's Kitchen. So I don't want to mm-hmm. I don't want to put this just on race for this yeah. particular element of it because it is a branding concept um, and the idea of class that is usually talked about with like younger wealth um and and, and more of a like a current kind of signature again if you see a starbucks somewhere you don't think that 15 years ago you thought it meant that the rich people were coming you don't necessarily think the rich people are coming but you do think if you see a dunkin donuts that's more that's more of your thing mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. but if you see like you said somebody doing a pour over of a coffee <laughs> from you know burundi that it tastes like grapes or some shit right (laughs) like you know then we assume that's not for us uniquely though we black folks can get sent the message that a five dollar coffee is not for us but somehow get sent the message that a eight hundred dollar belt or five hundred dollar belt is for us right like how do you (laughs) so we just think about how folks have been so the corporate space has been so smart to send you the fact that no, you don't need a juice <laughs> or you don't need this coffee. That's not for you. That's for white people. But the Gucci, you know, the new, you know, whatever, shout out to Dapper Dan. So not, I'm not sticking, you know, I'm not trying to come at Gucci or Louis Vuitton. But that this idea, I'll use another one, Kenzo or you know, uh, a Miri jeans, like literally a pair of jeans that now these these aspirational things are for you, but not this cup of coffee. So I think we have this challenge as it pertains to neighborhoods, right? Because everyone will go to the mall to buy that very same thing we're talking about. But if you see that store in your neighborhood, even if you like that thing mm. and you or us being authentically black for whatever that means, for whatever we need to say about that, that the coffee is a problem, but the other stuff ain't, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's where I think we get this hood affluent where you live there, but acknowledge that the proximity to your people can be a challenge with infrastructure and sometimes other situational elements or the other element of the reflected privilege where you share economic interests and maybe some social interest, you know, interests and amenities, but it doesn't share in any way the broader cultural context of of, of where you in, where you inhabit. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm sitting there looking at it too, and, and just some of the things that, that, that it got me thinking about. Um, or yeah, I guess I'll pass the pose as a question, and I'll answer um, for myself first because do the things. He kind of gets to is like, is there is there is is one choice better than the other? You know, right? or does does the choice even matter? You know, right? Does that does one you know what what are some of those thoughts? And like, I, I try to think about this stuff like strategies, right? And uh, you know, like how how do we win this scenario in a broader context? Um, how do you individual like what does it mean to have your own stability and order, right? And then what are the what are the what do you what do you gain? What do you lose by however you've situated yourself within you know this system, this society that we exist in, right? Um, and so I then I try to you know go to you know what's my own you know art, right? And and I, one of the things I realized and thought about this weekend or being back after going home for a week um, was that you know I'm I am comfortable and familiar with certain suburban settings right but i didn't actually i haven't the last few years i've i've come to more fully feel how detached where i specifically grew up is from anywhere else it's sort of just like it's like an island of, <laughs> of houses and some shopping centers right and it's it's uh and i was talking to my mom um and she was 
you know, talking about when she decided to move us there, you know, with my grandma, like, you know, she had friends and friends who were really like mad, like, like don't leave, like, cause you know, definitely like a don't leave, don't leave the city, like don't leave, like stay up here, right? And there was a number of economic factors that influ- influence my mom's decision, um, you know, and there's parts of it that I told her, I'm like, you know, we actually, I thought moved to a pretty good situation, at least for us at the time, educationally, you know, you know, I'm still in predominantly black schools, like way, not just predominantly black, black. <laughs> it was 16 black children and then two, three other people, you know, four or five other people, which I think may, you know, may be a rarity. But also I was dwelling on the idea that certain aspects of the like the communities that we live in when we live in them are not necessarily historically repeating patterns, meaning the, the conditions and everything that were going on when you think of. Um, and I don't know if Mount Airy was as nice as it, it, it was rumored to be <laughs> when I was a kid, but when I would hear about Mount Airy and Philly, I'm like, oh, man, Mount Airy. They up there, they, I heard that's the like the fanciest, nicest place to live if you're black. You know what I'm saying? Or a certain, you know, Sugar Hill, you know, in Harlem, or uh, was it Jamaica, Queens, certain parts of Queens? Like it was neighborhoods, areas that you heard about um, black people living around other black people, you know, um, and, and living wealthy. And then Willingboro, you know, people perceived it as like, oh, yeah, you, you, you know, and, and even I, I remember the experience of the mix of those of us who have moved there, you know, whatever point folks that were born, we perceived as born there, but everyone's sort of having this idea that you were from Willingboro, you were actually from this other place. But then, you know, there was some level of, you thought something happened for y'all that y'all were living there versus wherever you came from. Right. And it's a very weird so, dynamic. I mean, so I think one, it's important for, for the listeners to get some context for Willingboro as like, you know, whether it was planned to be the first black suburb or it quickly became the first black suburb. Um, and for folks who want to study the whole history of Levittown and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Levittown in Pennsylvania and in Levittown in New York, because I think sometimes we just talk about Levittown and one or the other. But, you know, uh, again, I think we were one of the unique places that by the 80s, there all there was already this idea that there were a number of black suburbs, mm-hmm. right? But you, but Yaden for us and, and some other places. But the difference with Willingboro was it wasn't connect, it wasn't directly connected to another black place. Yeah. Yeah. Which we always thought was different because it's one thing to say, okay, that's a black suburb because they moved up the street. And then, you know, as my mother would always say, your cousins followed you. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one thing. Yeah. But it's another thing when like somebody moves to a place that is not connected to anything as a actual place. So for us, that was in our understanding the time of people in place. I was like, like you made it right. Like, cause how could you get to a place that you had to drive to? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like who moves to a place that everybody has to drive to? Like you're rich. Right. And right. so I, I think that those are the distinctions to your point between thinking about that kind of neighborhood versus thinking about the the Mount Aries, the mm-hmm. Jamaica, uh, uh, St. Albans in Queens, mm-hmm. you know, that, that enclave of Sugar Hill and Strivers Row, right? Um, you know, specifically Mount Airy was a, you know, and this is also, I think, part of the demographic shift in America that gets downplayed when we talk about place. And I mean it's on both sides because the reality is place changes. Yeah. Place doesn't stay the same forever, not in America. So, you know, I thinking that a neighborhood's going to be the same way for 80 or 90 years, uh, unless there's some really specific stuff around historic preservation, and that's probably not gonna happen. Like the neighborhood's going to change a little bit, right? So anyway. Mount Airy was a was one of the first places in Philly that you know black folks could move because there was a Quaker population and also was a a, a considerable Jewish population. So our understanding of you know kind of black Jewish relationships at that time was okay. Well, if if Jews live there, then black folks can start moving up there, 
right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's how Winfield becomes Winfield. That's how Mount Airy. So those were very specific to like, it can be 20 or 30 or 40%, you know, 20, 30% black. And the next thing will be 60% black. And we think it's a black place, even though it's not necessarily a black place. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. the records show, once something becomes a plurality of black people, black people and white people perceive it as being a black place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's not necessarily a black place. Yeah, and I, I and I just add, I don't think Willembro actually became <laughs> like actually by demographics a black place until sometime in the nineties. But by the time school age, wow, you wow. Know what I'm saying it definitely, I assumed it was right. But I, I think it might not have been you know deep into the nineties, but because even as of the late eighties, you know, what I mean, a significant amount of the graduating classes like uh at least older classes like in late 80s like it wasn't as many by the time by the time i got to high school by the time i graduated high school it was like yeah it was speckles <laughs> white folks around yeah, but I, I but i i remember you know when we first moved there even just seeing you know more white people more white folks more young more young white people but that again changing rapidly you know what i'm saying like i said by the time i got out of high school it ain't like that no more. It's, you know, and a lot of those families moved to further suburbs, you know what I'm saying, in South Jersey and, and what have you. Um, As, and, and I think that's a that's a part of the story, right? And I think that, you know, to, just to add on, that's a part of the story that we have to keep central. And I'm not going to look at it negatively. I'm not going to yeah. look at the, 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 the bottom of the eight of it. I'm just going to say that these places do change and often our perception of what is black or what is white is it's a particular vision of it. And then the market, there's a, there's a space where the market perceives the psychology of the neighborhood and then starts to sell things at a certain clip. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that changes it. And on the flip side, there's a place where, you know, to you, like you asked on before a neighborhood might be, 75% 75% black, right? So do you think it's black? And then if it becomes 70% black because some black folks move to another neighborhood that is changing, right? Then other people move in because you have Victorian homes and they're willing to, they can get a loan from the bank or they're willing to live inside of a house that's not quite finished for a couple months, right? And we know, you know, telling the truth on black folks, we know that it's a typology where you can't really be taking your family in a house ain't ready for six, nine months. You know, you know, it's a good chance that you that your lady ain't going for that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like living in living in the money pit. You know what I'm saying? So while other bugs is moving into a crib, the crib ain't done and the bathroom is a wreck. You know what I mean? Like, you know, well, they ain't living in a house where the bathroom ain't finished, man. So, you know, there are some psychological markers um, on it as well. But I just thought I just thought that the, the idea of this like this tension that middle class black folks have. And I also want to make this distinction that it doesn't mean it's the thing. It doesn't mean it's a tension when it comes to destination conversations, meaning like we like you could see in. I mean, you see it when we was in Chicago, you see it all over the country. You have these places where black folks are still destinations for middle class black people who maybe were from a neighborhood or from the area. They just don't live there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So this isn't like the destination conversation. This is the actual like where you lay your head conversation. But I do think there's still a lot of the infrastructure for working for middle class black folks and wealthy, sometimes even wealthy black folks in the proximity to black neighborhoods, but it's just a difference of did you ride there to eat tonight or do you live around the corner from said thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, because I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I think he and the piece kind of goes into like the, the strategy or like the idea of like, which one is better or this or that. What to you, like, do you think that this is something that that like where would this land on the like we should strive for this or for that or like what 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 do you gain from just like approaching the idea of like making places work 
you know, for black people in a, in a, in a, in a more holistic way. Right. Meaning you can, you can find that balance of making, and I say places in the like regions of a, of a country regions, you know, of, of, or the area of municipality or city. Cause I, I, I think there's an aspect of at least our, our future that is we have to figure out some sort of balance between, um, that what either what you even described that like I I may frequent the place over here where I grew up or came from or at least I have cultural family ties to but the other dynamics mean I don't always I don't may, I may not live there right but that is still important to me right um and then and then I suppose like is there a is there a prescription of some sort like to look at with, with what might be the way these things could be different yeah i mean i think there's an either or because i think you know like so much you and i talk about when we build about just it's really about what are you trying to get to Mm -hmm. right i think there is a strong psychic reality to one not only black middle-class neighborhoods but also black multi-class neighborhoods i think there's a strong psychic thing that happens there i think it's a it's important for children of all backgrounds to see people being successful, mm-hmm. right? See black folks being successful. I think it's important for everyone to see black folks being successful. That's normalized. Mm-hmm. That's not on TV. It ain't. It ain't. It ain't. You know, blackish. It ain't. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The Cosby Show. It ain't. You know, your favorite Negro on television. Like it's someone that lives next to you that's black, and may and maybe even blackity black. I'm saying this is for white people. <laughs> it's important for them to see that um and it's very important for black folks of all backgrounds to see black folks being successful because it normalizes possibility one of the most i think psychic challenges that we have in our neighborhoods is that we've normalized lack of success and mm-hmm. and, and and we've actually socialized the idea that to be successful you have to leave this place Mm-hmm. And you have to move somewhere where the population is not majority you. That's where that race and class becomes synonymous. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important. I think there is a thing where you have to foster it. Now, can you or I don't think you can artificially foster it. That's number one. And I think community development strategies in black neighbors have proven you can't necessarily like, you know, artificially do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not all a city program. It has to be where black folks decide to spend their money with agency, mm-hmm. not, you know, uh, an elected official's vision of what this could look like. Now, they can set the tone. They can set the terms. They can create the platform. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's going to have to be some private capital in decisions that people are making. So I do think there are possibilities. I also think that there are. um there's some there's some secondary challenges that affect the primary challenge, and, I, and I'll stop after this. I have one thing, meaning schools often impact this conversation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because even a lot of times, if, if we can live with the challenges that we, are, we grow up around, we might live with there might be some you know some stuff going on down the street and that kind of stuff, right? No one can live with their children getting substandard education. And so it starts to be a decision for a lot of folks. Am I going to pay for the house or am I going to pay for the private school? And generally speaking, it's smarter to pay for the house than it is to pay for the the private school. Just as a decision making, Mm -hmm. like from a decision making vantage point. So that's that's one of the secondary challenges we're going to be will continue to have around this conversation. The research shows that even in black middle-class, highly performing, like uh, wealthy black middle-class municipalities like Prince George's County mm-hmm. and DC or uh, Maryland, the schools still suffer, mm-hmm. right? So, they, so they, there is that conversation. So I think, you know, you have to, it has to be a market. It has to be thinking about these secondary issues. And then again, I do think it's important for us to socialize in neighborhoods that aren't majority black because that's also part of the segregation conversation not segregation like hey you bring me some cookies but the segregation of not normalizing black success 
and not normalizing that black people are not victims. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. Right. So I think I, I do I do think it's it's both. I think when you get scale in cities or regions, when you get scale in regions, and I think this plays out from an economic development perspective because the scale of Atlanta, for example, now compounds itself. I would say the two places that we are currently in, the scale, the lack of density of scale of Pittsburgh, as far as black folks along with a host of other challenges, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well as as well as the Portland area, right, does not compound itself <laughs> with folks coming to bring their capital and resources to these places mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they don't think these places are places they're going to flourish. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think it becomes easier when people and and that's where, you know, you and I both know half of the people I went to high school with ended up in the DMV. Yeah. Even though Philadelphia, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Philadelphia has a robust black community that you could come back to be a part of. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. But but, the folks still ended up in they still ended up in in, in Maryland and D.C. Right. In Virginia. So it shows you that it. Yes, could you have lived in a black middle class place in Philadelphia? They absolutely could have, right? But there was uh, there was some other pool, uh, some other psychological pool, and some other resource and other reason that you know that area became a place where you're getting kind of this density of capital and density of also education, frankly, moving to these places. Yeah, so. well, and I think a couple. My some of my thoughts around that is like the the well things to bear in mind, right? And it's something actually he points out in the thing that like the, you know black people are homes if they're in a, what's perceived as a black neighborhood uh, are devalued, and that's no matter what the type of house they are. And so if that's a black neighborhood in a city, a black suburban neighborhood, and probably I'm pretty sure I haven't read anybody's reports on it, but I would imagine a black rural environment somehow. <laughs> the land will be like, oh yeah, that's probably, you know, sometimes it may in fact be, you know, poor, poor, you know, lower quality soils or drainage or whatever, you know, dynamics and stuff. Because that also is a reality of, you know, living in a racist system that, you know, we, you know, the the the, the same rules, the rules to be able to protect the value of your land and what your land can do, don't stop and start with uh, you know, mortgage, mortgage lending. Um and so when you like start thinking about the things that there are hard components to like something being a, a, a sort of vibrant place of commerce. Right. And, and that we, I think, I think there's a, there's a, there's a mental shift when we think, especially from the, one of the the pieces that this is speaking to, which is like a lifestyle conversation. This is not necessarily a conversation about the nature of our logistics infrastructure and like manufacturing capacity and like, like all those kind of things, which are important things, but that's not really this, conversation and and what this piece was bringing up is sort of the lifestyle aspect of whatever you do where you want to situate yourself to like live the life that you know you enjoy so to speak or is rewarding to you um and that some of these spaces you know because of our society's history of racism is why we don't frame them as just like oh that's a nice restaurant strip but it's a it's a restaurant strip that is maybe is white (laughs) or associated with white people or not associated with, you know, you name it. Um, There's that aspect, but there is a reality that what is whatever places that folks would want to frequent need to have, they need to have, they need to actually make money. (laughs) Um, They need to, to have the customers base. They need to have the, the mix of people, that want to engage in that activity coming through. So if you artificially, you can't just go like, well, they need a supermarket, so we're going to put a supermarket in, right? I mean, like you can, you can get the capital and do all this stuff and put it in. And it'll but, fail. But it'll fail. I've seen it, I've seen it over and over again. And, and again, it's like, you know, unless you're going to just make sure the supermarket stays open, and even you're not going to be able to do that for, for so long because eventually, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, not here with the to tout the hidden hand of the market, <laughs> but it's just like <laughs> yeah. the reality of it will be people won't shop there. It will close. Yeah. So it does have to be the factors that put it in play 
that allow that business to be successful. Yeah. Um, and then so there's like to me is a, a conversation of sort of like determination in terms of like what what are the ways that we can hold you can if if a group of people have a vision for their neighborhood, right? Um, especially if we're thinking about like legacy black communities, right? And they're like, we want this to be this way. So, you know, I there to me, there has to be some some level of collective intention that is able to express itself um in 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 a hard planning kind of way right like in the, like what is stuff zoned and what are we allowed to do what are we not allowed to do what do the rules say um and then uh, and then uh, then i think there's an aspect of like like you know someone got to come up with some business some ideas that actually work for where we're at <laughs> like and and are suitable to where the place is at with the idea that this these may change if this goes well, right? Like so, if you got an old school, um, you know, tight city block, you know, commercial strip, you know what I mean, where you you know you you know what the twenty by twenty by twenty by ten or whatever, I can't remember the the you know the, the space between at the front of the store and the width of the door, right? Like what can fit in those storefronts that would be meaningful to the people that are close proximity and to what degree would other people, you know, travel to that place either to do, to do commerce, you know what I mean? Um, or to partake of the services or goods that are there, right? Um, if it's some other form of, of the way the space moves, but, you know, it needs to be some balance between like an intentional planning and then somebody that's like, yeah, I'm actually willing to risk my, my, my well-being in, in the future on being the person that owns this business, right. Or us as a group or a collective of people. Um, and then, you know, you do need the, the damn rules to not, you know, be kicking you in the butt um, in terms of being able to access capital. But I mean, we, we know all those things, but I think that then there is that, 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 that psychic social piece of like, where how do you bring the confluence of people who are there that have been there like that they have ownership and are a part of it but also folks that feel connected to that space or from that neighborhood or are familial or other ties and even so then they're engaged and then quite frankly if you got a product or service that you're selling most of the time you, you probably would do well to sell to whoever wants to buy it and meaning so if folks that ain't from around here or didn't traditionally exist or add on or be in, in that space, when they come in, how are they coming in? Right. In what way are they being oriented to come in? Are there is there some sort of, you know, what is the coordination? And I think a lot of times those things need to be on the same page um, and from a or at least there needs to be some, I don't, you know, and I don't have an answer. I'm, I'm just saying that, that I think somehow to, to, to tie, tie those things in. And then I think though for the other piece that I did that I had in my head was was thinking about the way prices value relative value of things. It's not like our society doesn't look at the value of a house based on the, like the raw material to take to build it. We look at it with you know all these other factors from proximity to perceived value of the, of the schools to you know you know all the things and that, you know, particularly predominantly white people set the price, <laughs> you know what I mean? White decisions set the price. Um, and so knowing that, is there a strategy, you know, is there a ratio of black person we go like, well, maybe not, maybe, you know, maybe most of the family stays closer to this neighborhood, but a couple people in the family, you know, you buy a house over there so we can balance out <laughs> sort of our access to reasonable prices. So we can, you know, move sort of resources between each other in some way. Is there some sort of collective, you know, strategy? Is there a a thought instead of uh instead of if you, you know, like is it a better decision if you were like a you know African American entrepreneur that was like, yeah, I want to open up this kind of place that does this other thing, but would it is it a better strategy to just open it where the best market is for that thing? And then hopefully, you know, return, you know, maybe your operations and stuff are located, you know, in your traditional community as opposed to having, you know, the other way around, right? I don't know. Like, these are the kind of thoughts that this piece put me in, in, the, in the mind state of. Um, and then also, um, you know, I would say being my own kind of particular path and navigation through Blackness growing up, um, 
as much as I love where I came from and, and my folks, I, I don't really have no allegiance to, to geography because I I try I just try to stay connected to people via being being me. Um, and you know, within some some degrees of experience, meaning that there's there's definitely some places I ain't moving, <laughs> but there's more places like I ain't moving over there than the uh, than the um, than the other side, like where it's like you know, because I, as I like to say, they got to deal with me as much as people worry what what they're gonna do to you, just what they what's going what they got. I'm gonna be out there. I don't know what they're gonna do. You know what I'm saying? They need to get ready. I'm, I'm, that's my street now that I live there, but. <sighs> That's my brain. Yeah, no, man. No, no. I think um, just to close. I think um, I think you bring up some good points. Obviously, we don't have it figured out. There's some places that things are happening, and then there's some challenges in those places, both by perception and reality. Um, and I think you know, there's also a part of this that's then just connected to the broader economic mobility of people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you have millions of people who don't have access to economic mobility, their sense of place will be defined by what you perceive they buy. And then that will shift a whole host of things. And if it's schools, if it's job programs, if it's a whole host of things, I don't want to, you know, be prescriptive, but there has to be a conversation about economic mobility. So that communities actually change from within and don't have to have external change, whether black or white. Mm. Right. Because there is such a thing as is is black on as as intercommunity gentr or intra-community gentrification. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now you you might just call it neighborhood change, and that's fine. And often, you know, the research shows that the black folks that come in don't get like these huge bounce benefits from their hood affluence. But there is that thing too, where, you know, you can move into a neighborhood, but you also know that if it was majority black, another person very well may have been displaced Mm -hmm. or they may have chosen to move. And that's just part of, again, what we have to understand the scale. So I think, um, you know, folks, please check the, the articles out and also check him out. He talks about urbanism, I've been honored to be um, featured as a black urbanist. You should know. I don't even call myself an urbanist, but you know, whatever. Um, you know, um, yeah, urbanist, man. Think, yeah, man. Again, that's why I was saying in the beginning, like you don't even call yourself like you know, black folks. Like I care about the community. <laughs> I care about people in place. And everybody was like, "You mean an urbanist?" He's like, "No, I'm not an urbanist. I just care about people in place." Yeah, that kind of makes you an urbanist. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I think black folks, we have to be careful hiding from that mm-hmm. because if we care about our communities and we care about how it looks, we care about public domain, we care about how it feels, then you are an urbanist, you know, and 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 be okay with that. So I gotta talk to myself. I'm gonna be okay with the fact that I was that I'm an urbanist. All right. <laughs> Indeed. Another thing else I would just add is, um, you know, I think it's really good to there's a value in 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 working to try to see the the spaces that we live in with as many other factors as you can that that as you can. You know what I mean? Like just broadening your lens some and and um and and sometimes just taking a a thought to right what is this place what was this place before my community called this our community right and how do those the the intentions either from the physical you know again the physical plant and infrastructure what that has how that has shaped the way this looks and works and then adding to that you know what are the ways if if we wanted to be different or we wanted to go somewhere else how do we how do we have a conversation about that how do we engage in that and then what are the rules that impact it? you know what i'm saying like what are the things that make these these visions either challenging um or 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 possible you know what i mean and um and also you know what i mean you know whoever's you know if you if y'all are about to um break bread or you just went to take that that uh that walk <laughs> with your cousin <laughs> and you and you on your way back 
know what I'm saying? You know, when you had that family member that maybe has the, you know, the bigger dining room or the has the more space or whatever is home, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, you know I mean, you know, you know, take a minute to reflect on that. Like, you know, where y'all are at and why why this is the place that you have gathered with the po- folks that you gathered, if you're gathering at all. If you're just doing some other stuff, you know what I mean? That's also cool. You know what I'm saying? You have no obligation to partake of any of these activities. You know, that's just a justice. Absolutely. That's a justice. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with that, let's say anything else. I'm going to say, uh, you know, I think we I think we good. My man. All right. So with that, I'm saying peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to Good Brothers. Thank you to you, the listeners. Thank you to my good brother, uh, Majestic. Try to record regularly and, um, you know, as I'm in this time of transition and we are moving into the cool, quiet months of the fall and the soon to be here winter. Uh, I hope that we bring something warm and satisfying to your ear. Uh, we try to record regularly and, um, you know, the thing I ask for is your support, uh, primarily in the way of sharing. Um, if you want to go a little further, step farther, you know, become a subscriber on Patreon. Just search Justice Raji and you can um, add, you know, a little something every month to the Creative Kitty. Um, but you can also, you know, very much support the show by uh, copping a sweatshirt, um, but even more and easy, cost you nothing, is rate, subscribe, man. Rate, subscribe. Even if this feed changes up, you know what I mean? When I launch the, the, the change up, however that goes, jump on, be one of the first people. Because, uh, you know, algorithm gives a bump to newness. It doesn't respect the old. But in any event, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you had a safe and quiet, uh, you know, week there with the Thanksgiving and all that. Um you know is yeah yeah so i'm not gonna get into that too much but again um thank you for listening thank you for sharing thank you for participating be well peace